You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome to Big Noon Sports, featuring Lars Anderson, New York Times bestselling author of 12 books and a 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated, and Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality. Here's Lars and Matt. And we're off and running on a Monday as SEC Media Days have just now begun at Nashville, the Grand Hotel. And last I checked, and literally that was just a couple of minutes ago, Commissioner Greg Sankey was still at the podium. And uh, among other things that uh, he mentioned, he talked about moving to Dallas next year for Media Days, the expansion in 2024, and the likelihood that college football playoff will also change in 2024. But, uh, you know, there's a very human side to Greg Sankey, Lars Anderson, and I, I appreciate it because one of the first things he let everybody know is he's a granddaddy. Last Thursday, he became a granddaddy, and, and we know how um, some, some of these administrative people at the very, very top, sometimes they, they come across as just that person, but we know different. Greg Sankey's totally different, and uh, being a grandparent's a cool thing, and <laughs> that's why he led the show of 1,500 members of the media and thousands watching nationally with the fact that he's a granddaddy. I love that about Commissioner Sankey. I do too. Uh, good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon, everybody. Very exciting time just having uh, having SEC Media Days uh, begin finally. And I know when I was, uh, you know, at Sports Illustrated, I would go every year. And it, it was really for the reporters just to get a feel of the different storylines, uh, reacquaint yourself with the sports information people. Uh, and 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 really just kind of figure out like you know what what interesting angles can you look at every team uh, and examine every team with and and also what's important Matt is just hanging around your fellow reporters who cover the league day in and day out and just talking to them and acquiring information but uh, yeah for for Greg Sankey I mean this is a it was just a brilliant move you know why because who can criticize you after you get up on stage and you wax poetic about being a granddaddy I love it I love it um, and also it does reveal the, the the personal side of Greg that you and I know so well and there is a warmth to his character that you feel when you sit down in the room in a room with him and uh, that's, I think, kind of what he's projecting now uh, as he's on stage and, and giving his uh, state of the SEC uh, uh, annual address. Didn't hear much else from him. A uh, lot of thanks he gave to, I guess, everybody from the governor to the Department of Transportation. But he certainly appreciated the hospitality that the Music City provided for the Southeastern Conference. And I'm sure our colleagues do as well. But um, he certainly pointed out that in 2024, July of 2024, to, to Texas and Oklahoma will join the league. And that's a good thing. Go 14 to 16. Of course, this will be the last year into the 14-team format. We'll see how it grows. And, of course, we're awaiting what the schedule is going to be like in 2024 as well. Uh, I guess we've got 2024, but we're working on the other ones. And it's, it's, that's kind of a pile of coat hangers. But um, SEC media days are off and running. Tomorrow, Hugh Freeze. Then um, Wednesday, you'll have Nick Saban. 
a lot of interest in what those have to say. And yet, with all of this and with all of the different stories and the comments that Nick Saban has made in the offseason and prior to this, what's the one story that popped up on ESPN is, is the Nick Saban era over? And uh, <laughs> I, I really tire of this. I, I, I wondered comically this morning, I said, I, this is some kind of national uh, conspiracy to just keep putting this out there for all the recruits. Now, I'm laughing at myself, but at some point, Lars, it gets ridiculous. He asked, he asked, he's asked and answered this question uh, for dang near a decade uh, with the same answer and, quite honestly, with the same proof. And I, I think this is another one of those little deals that just drives Nick Saban. He's going to go, okay, I'm going to go out there and kick their butts again this year. So um, I, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm a little annoyed. It's why these people keep bringing up these subject, this subject when, in fact, uh, asked and answered, sir. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been a question that has uh, been around for quite a while. And it seems like uh, every year after Alabama doesn't win a national title after Saban, uh, this comes up. And now it's been two years. But if you go back and really examine last season for Alabama, Matt, they're two, three plays away from uh, getting into the playoffs. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't like Alabama was uh, just fell off a cliff. And, uh, you know, the, the three teams going today, LSU, Missouri, and Texas A&M at Big 12 Media Day, or at Big SEC Media Days, um, we're going to go over all three of those. But you know that Brian Kelly, right, who's gone, he's been bragging about Alabama for months and months and months. You know he's going to be asked about, is LSU now the team to beat uh, on uh, in, in the SEC West, and you know that that Brian Kelly is going to say absolutely, um, and so you know the uh, the talking will be uh, loud, I think, from different uh, players and coaches. But uh, I, uh, I, you know, it, it's it's funny that even even and this is this is a way it's been ever since Nick Saban got to Alabama. Even when Alabama is not in the room. At SEC Media Days, they are in the room because heads. yeah, because because like a third of the questions typically have to deal with Nick Saban or Alabama in some form or fashion. I mean, and that just sort of amplifies what you and I both know, and that is Alabama is still the team to beat in my mind. Uh, certainly in the SEC West, uh, you know, Georgia, that's a whole nother story. Back-to-back -back national championships, you know, uh, on the other side of the conference. But, but yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, Brian Kelly will acquit himself well. And, again, we're, we're going to dig deeper into each of these three teams. But um, Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, uh, they're coming off a 5-7 and seven team, uh, five and seven record in 2022. Uh, pretty quiet offseason, you know, with just the main thing is the addition as Bo Bobby Petrino as the play caller. And uh, what, uh, what, what are you expecting out of Jimbo today? Do you think he'll, think he'll say much? I don't know, but I know the question he's going to be asked a lot and probably to the point of uh, Jimbo having one of his little breaks breakdowns perhaps but he's going to get the bobby petrino question asked in uh many many forms and fashion and and i'm curious just nothing else from logistics i'd like to know exactly who's going to call the plays 
Uh, so Jimbo's been doing that, and Bobby Petrino, the proof is in the pudding. He's one of the best to play call live during a game that we've seen in this modern era. So Texas A&M will be asked a lot. There'll be, uh, I'm sure the players will be asked that as well. So uh, we'll see how that works out. But I, I think that, Lars, that would be my first question to Jimbo Fisher. Um, how are you using Bobby Petrino? Yeah, absolutely. And how much uh, how much leash are you going to give him? Like, how, when are you going to be able to restrain yourself from wanting to call the plays? Because Jimbo has been a play caller for ba- basically his entire coaching career. And uh, will he really be able to hand the reins all over to Bobby Petrino? I would assume the answer is yes, that he will. Uh, otherwise, Petrino wouldn't have come to uh, Texas A&M. But I want to go back to Greg Sankey just for one second. Uh, he did have a, a, a few uh, touching words to say about uh, Mike Leach, uh, who uh, passed away, as we know, uh, tragically uh, several months ago. Uh, and I think we have a clip of uh, Commissioner Sankey talking about Mike Leach. Well, guys, it, we did have the clip, and then it looks like it, it froze immediately as I clicked to play. Of course it did. Of course it <laughs> <All right>. did. <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll get that up and going, Matt. We will. Um, in just a minute, I think that uh, we will be joined by Jeff Spiegel, who's been very, been very good, to just put it right out there, uh, at joining us. And he and his partner, uh, Johnny Congdon, are going to join us live every day for the next four days and he just sent me a text said that uh, he thought brian kelly was about to go to the podium and ask if maybe he couldn't have just a couple of minutes and guess what now my phone is frozen it's an <laughs> epidemic it's everywhere uh yeah he said uh we'll call him on the other side of this break and um, he's literally standing right there. So we'll see what he has to say about Sankey's comments. And, and I'm glad he's going to wait because uh, of today and maybe in my top three of coaches I want to hear from, um, certainly Brian Kelly is way up there. I mean, and at the end of the media day's week, are more people going to pick LSU than Alabama? I'm very curious about that. But, we know LSU's got the horses. They got the returning quarterback, and they got the best defensive player in all the SEC. But uh, we will continue. It's uh, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, uh, along with Justin Jones, bring you the Monday edition of Big Noon Sports. Of course, we are presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, 
and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Summertime. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A hot, humid afternoon, partly sunny, just a small chance of a shower or storm through the evening hours. The high today, 96, the low tonight, 72. Tomorrow, lots of hazy sunshine. The chance of a thunderstorm stays small. The high at 97. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 90 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Earn each of those passings. Last year in Atlanta, one of my backstage conversations was about the uselessness of neckties. It was a conversation that went much longer than I anticipated and ended and the rhetorical question of why neckties survive but powder wigs went away. That conversation was with Mike Leach and today I'm without a tie just to honor Mike's memory. You know, we lost Mike in December, a person important, not simply to the Southeastern Conference. We only had him for a few seasons, but to all of college football. He was fascinating and impacted the lives of thousands of people across the college football spectrum and across his life. He provided wedding advice, advice, evaluated Halloween candy, and if you ended up in a phone call talking about history, you had better have scheduled a great deal of time as he recited his historical knowledge. He also observed the world from a perspective that made you think and often made you laugh and sometimes made you just perplexed. And it's important that we remember people who've contributed be it for the short term or the long term to this wonderful conference. And we're going to miss Mike, but he's not going to be forgotten. There you have Greg Sankey, a part of his initial address, address to the Southeastern Conference in Nashville, uh, talking about the, the much-loved Mike Leach. Uh, 
And what a great story, because um, I don't know that I can, I've had one that interesting, but Mike Leach can go off on a tangent, and he knows about everything, um, in, including the, the necktie deal. <laughs> Comparing it to powdered wigs, it's just, that is so perfect in Mike Leach. But, uh, it's actually it a not, fair question. <laughs> it really is. Um, <laughs> Yo, know, uh, I don't know if I want to dive in right, right now, but dang it all. <laughs> he died in December. He's still got us thinking in yeah. July. Uh, but that's, uh, again, another tribute to Mike Leach. I just had a quick question, and, and maybe this is just a tad out of bounds, but um, he endeared himself to the SEC, to Mississippi State, um, and to the SEC as fans and his media so quickly. Um, I just wonder if, if the other conferences, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, um, I wonder if they have like sentiments. Uh, of course, he died while he was in the SEC, and that certainly is immediate recall. But I, I, I hope the people in the areas that he coached other than Starkville appreciate what this guy did, not just for college football, but for humanity. So there you have that. And, uh, as, and once again, a very class thing that Greg Sankey did at the podium today. Um, Jeff Spiegel's listening to Brian Kelly right now. He's going to join us here in just a minute and give us an opportunity to talk about a couple of other things. And I know you were uh, you were cheering yesterday morning, or if you watched the replay yesterday afternoon, the Scottish Open, as in brilliant, only Rory, maybe Tiger, maybe Jack could have done this, but to have birdied two of the more difficult holes on the course, he birdied 17 and 18 to win the Scottish Open, and Lars, you're the biggest Rory fan I know. I'm not far behind, but I just, real quick, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought that uh, it was, uh, you know, he just showed tremendous grit, tenacity. Um, you, uh, you, you and I both understand how hard it is to go birdie birdie on the 71st and 72nd holes of a golf tournament when you you need it for the win uh so when the pressure was at its greatest rory was at its best and so that's right where you want to be heading into the british open uh which starts on thursday and is also uh, it's at royal liverpool golf club and the last time it was played there was rory's last uh major win so um it, you know, uh, you got to like Rory's chances. And it's it in, and I was watching with my son Lincoln, who's absolutely obsessed with golf right now. He's eight and just obsessed. And he had a golf club in his hands. And, and I told him, do everything that Rory does. <laughs> swing just like Rory. Look at his swing, analyze his swing. Uh, look how he is gripping the club. Look at his back swing, look at his follow through, look at his wrists. And because uh, to me, it's, it's absolutely textbook perfect, Matt. It is. Now, here's the here's the multi-million dollar question. I think the is the purse for the winner of the Open like $3 million? It, when I was first following golf, that was two or three tournaments worth of purse. But anyway, does this just give him momentum going on in the Open or does it put more pressure on him? I think it gives him momentum. I mean, he's he's been asked the question since 2014. You know, when he last is, when he won his last majors, uh, major championship, or when are you going to win again? When are you going to win again? 
And I think that the, the British Open is just perfect for him because he is uh, he's comfortable playing Lynx golf. He grew up playing Lynx golf in Ireland. And, um, and it, you know, it's, it, it's, he is, he's as European as any of uh, the great golfers, right, who are ranked right, right at the top uh, in the world. And uh, I, I just think everything is kind of coalescing that this is going to be Rory's, Rory's weekend to finally break the streak. Uh, so I, I, I like his chances. How about you? I do. Um, I, I wonder if um, it does, in my mind, think, I think it puts a little bit more pressure on him. But um, we'll see how he handles it. And I, I kind of think we'll know the first day. Of course, you could fire a 74 and then turn around and shoot a 64. Um, which, by the way, the guy that ended up finishing second, um, McElroy, McIntyre, uh, who's from like 150 miles away from the golf course there in Scotland, um, Roy went and sought him out uh, after he won with the birdie on 18 and just gave him a big hug. And <laughs> here's what he said. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and again, there is a human element to Rory McIlroy that I think we can all relate to then. But um, I don't know. I don't find it odd. I find it interesting. I find it embracing. But to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I did what I was supposed to do and, you know, ended up winning the Scottish Open because I needed to. But um, I thought that was a very interesting reaction and, and certainly a very classy one on Roy McElroy's part. Yeah, and it was also a really nice scene after he won. He's greeted by his wife, uh, Erica Stoll, and, uh, and then um, their two-year-old daughter, Poppy. What a great name, Poppy. Uh, That's what my and, grandchildren call me. Yeah, <laughs> and you can hear when they're embracing the three of them, you can hear uh, his wife, Erica, say, say, well done, Dada. <laughs> so, yeah, everybody can relate to that. And uh, it's curious to think that, that Poppy, even though she won't remember any of this, uh, has never seen her daddy, her dada, win a major championship. But I, I do think that's going to change this weekend. I just, uh, again, he's playing so well. And it, as in any sport, momentum is a real thing in golf. Once you get on a roll, it's just uh, every everything just comes to easier. The one thing about the British Open, though, Matt, is it's, it, there's a big, there's more of an element of luck in winning the British Open than any other major simply because of the weather. And the weather conditions change so rapidly and you can go out in the morning and there won't be a breeze. And you, if you go out in the afternoon, that wind is gonna be whipping around at 25 miles an hour and you're struggling just simply to make par or maybe one over. Whereas if you went out where the course can be had with no wind, uh, you can go you know, four or five under and you simply can't do that when the conditions are bad. And typically the conditions are bad for about 50% of the tournament whenever, whenever uh, the British Open is played. And so, you know, you're, you're going to have to need, you're, he will need a little bit of luck just uh, weather-wise. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he, he is swinging the club as well as he has in, in a long, long time. 
Well, Sunday was evident of how the weather can change from the earlier rounds because the wind was uh, at 30 miles an hour often, sometimes gusting to 40. I can't recall exactly what player it was, but he had like a four-footer, and at the last minute he'd drawn his putter back, so he had to follow through. The wind blew, and, and literally it blew his putter face off the ball to the extent where he missed a four-footer. And it's a totally different style of golf. Um, to talk about an understatement. but And for Rory to do what he did on 17 and 18 in that wind, it shows one thing, first of all, just to his tenacity. But it also shows how much it, it helps to have grown up in that golf. Because oftentimes... They hit shots so low. Did you see? I don't remember if it was 17 or 18. I think it was 18. Did you see the five he hit? I don't think it ever got more than 10 feet off the ground. Yeah. Now, if if he's playing in Greensboro, that ball's going 100 feet into the air. Yeah. So uh, it is a totally different golf. And, and the guys that have played it will flourish. The guys that aren't used to it will not. But uh, there are Americans that have uh, figured out the, the European, the, the link-style golf. Um, immediately, in my mind, Tom Watson, I think of him. But uh, yeah. we'll see. It'll be very interesting. And, uh, you know, you can get up 3 o'clock in the morning and watch golf. Yeah, it's, it's great. And I don't know if you saw that Rory hit a bomb, uh, I think it's the third round, 427 yards off the tee. I mean, just crazy. Uh, crazy far ended up birdie and I think it was the seventh hole but um, yeah he Rory's got it going and it, it was crazy yeah it was so windy that you had to factor the wind into your putts and there were there was one putt in particular coming down the stretch that Rory thought he missed it and then a gust of wind blew the ball <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like I don't know, but four inches, and uh, and it ended up, ended up hole in the putt, and he was just Didn't laughing. Did he think he missed the one on yeah. eighteen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, very it's uh, it's those greens. They're they're not incredibly challenging, but it's the it's the wind that that makes it so hard, and also just uh, just getting it up there, of course, but. Um, it'll be fun to watch. I, I thoroughly enjoy just waking up to golf. I, I, I love it. And, um, yeah, I, I like Roy McElroy big time this weekend. But, uh, yeah, we're going to get back and talk in SEC media days for sure, Matt. Just on the other side of this break, there's another note, something coming up in Northwestern that I don't think anybody has a uh, – it's going to surprise anybody, um, but we'll talk about that quickly if we can and go live to Nashville for SEC Media Days with ABC 3340's Jeff Spiegel on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 
205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Get a live update here from Nashville on Big Noon Sports in just a moment. Jeff is ready, in fact, as we speak. And, uh, man, we were asking him to spin like a fifth plate up there in the Music City. But Jeff Spiegel from ABC 3340 is with us. We won't keep you long. Um, I guess so far you've uh, heard from Sankey and Brian Kelly. First, how are you? Oh, really good. How about you guys? Fantastic. Doing great. It's hot sweltering in July in Birmingham. I'm sure it's not much better <laughs> in Nashville. But uh, I watched you do the zone knowing full well that uh, you were also on your way to Nashville. Good show last night with you and uh, actually Secrets and Griff. Uh, where yeah. are we? Good, good, yeah, good show that. to see Griff uh, back involved as well. Uh, just a quick, uh, just give us a, a little bit of your take from Sankey and Brian Kelly. Okay, well, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm not going to try to pull the wool over your eyes, okay? Um, I, had, I had trouble getting a news car, and Matt, you, you're going to know what this is all about. I had trouble getting a news car, so I left like at 8.15, pulled into the parking lot at 11.30ish, and then the shuttle got me here, so I have no idea what Sankey said. The only thing I heard, he talked a little bit about gambling, I think. That was something that someone mentioned before Brian Kelly walked in. I just heard Brian Kelly, and Kelly was terrific. Uh, he was asked about you know, the importance of beating Alabama, what that meant to the program. And he said, uh, he said look, that, that, that was fantastic, but, but you, know, you, you got to do it again. And you got to do it again and again and again. But what it does, when you walk into a recruit's room, you can say, this is what we did. Here's what we can do, and we can do, you know, incredible things, you know, if you'll join the team. And so uh, so that that also stood out. And also he talked about, you know, Texas and Oklahoma joining the league. And uh, he said, look, I know this is going to make headlines, but if, but if we could play 12 SEC games, I would play 12. And then his thinking is, look, it's the SEC. It's tough. If you don't want to compete in the SEC, go play in another league. So those were two things that really jumped wow. out at me. He was fantastic as always. And I think he's been a great addition to the league. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's really uh, remarkable to think how far Brian Kelly has come in just one year. Because last year at SEC Media Days, we were asking him about accents and adjustment and dance moves and <laughs> cultural fit. But now, doesn't he just kind of seem like, hey, I'm here, I'm here to stay. And uh, and he just, from what I gather, he just seems more comfortable in his own skin uh, this year and also just comfortable with where his program's at. And that's largely because of uh, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback. Oh, I would totally agree with that. You know, I think he's always had that swagger, you know, about him because, you know, he's won like at other levels certainly not at the SEC level, but, uh, but, it, but last year was just a, you know, a breakout season for him. And again, it's the power of the portal. And that's why it would not surprise me at all. You know, if Hugh Freeze has a similar year this year, 
you know, to what Kelly had in his first year at LSU. Because, you know, if you can get guys from the portal to come in and help you immediately. And the first time I saw Jaden Daniels play was on one of those late night Pac-12 games. And I think Arizona, Arizona State beat somebody. It might have been Arizona. It might have been, you know, it, it was somebody big. And he was amazing in that game. And I knew when they got him that, that he'd be a difference maker. And sure enough, he was. And, and that's why, I mean, I think, I mean, the media should pick LSU to win the West again this year because because that guy, I think, is the best quarterback in the league. Yeah. Even, even I, better it, than Arkansas. I think so. I'm, I do. I think it's close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I really, uh, man, I really like their chances to just, uh, you know, do, do what they did last year. And but, uh, but you know, it's like he said with that earlier answer is that, you know, they're not going to remember you because you did it once. I mean, you got to go back and you got to do it again and again. So he's got the right approach for sure. Yeah, I mean, last year the media picked LSU to finish fifth, <laughs> and uh, they exceeded <laughs> expectations. Yeah, I mean, hey, the the uh, the media has a long and indistinguished <laughs> career at at picking poorly when it comes to trying to figure out who is who is going to win the SEC at the beginning of the season, but. Uh, Jeff, to get back to quarterback Jaden Daniels, uh, I was able to see a few of his interviews this morning, and he was just so impressive, uh, very intelligent, articulate, self-deprecating, and and he just seemed really like, I know that I am the leader of this team, right? There's no more questions of, of who is going to take charge, and it's definitely Jaden Daniels. And and I'm with you. I think Jaden Daniels is probably the best quarterback in the league right now. Well, you know, who wanted the ball in overtime on that touchdown, you know, that uh, that put him within one against Alabama? He wanted it. And and he took it in there and then, you know, made the, you know, made the great throw there to Taylor, you know, to win the game. Uh, this is a guy who's certainly not afraid of the moment. Uh, he's not afraid of any team. He's not afraid of any defensive player. He's very fearless. But like you say, he's got some, you know, humility about him too. And uh, he's got the, you know, the charm and the interviews and all that. So, I mean, to me, he's the complete package. Well, I'm, I'm still a KJ guy, but we'll see. He's got more experience. But I'll tell you this. Certainly, um, LSU's probably got more weapons around Daniels, and that will certainly work in his favor. Um, who's on the uh, afternoon deal, and uh, what are you interested to hear? Well, Jimbo Fisher is going to be uh, around, and so is Eli Drinkwitz. And Fisher, of course, is going to have to answer the questions of, you know, hiring Bobby Petrino, you know, and, and giving up play calling. Maybe not completely, but, but to a large degree to – to another, you know, offensive play calling genius and Bobby Petrino. But of course, you know, there's a perception out there that this is going to be a combustible relationship, that the egos are not going to be able to cooperate. So I'll be interested to hear what he has to say about that and, you know, why he bought Bobby on board and why he thinks Bobby is going to be the key to kind of getting them over the hump this year. And the other team coming up is uh, Missouri and, um, you know, even though Eli Drinkowitz has a losing record, a losing career record at Missouri, 
he's still a pretty outspoken guy, right? And he, he's got an edge to him, and uh, it makes him kind of, kind of a, a reporter's dream in a way. Um, and, and he's just he's he's a fascinating and overlooked because he's at Missouri, and Missouri just they haven't been that relevant in the SEC for the last few years. Uh, have you had any interaction with Eli over the years? And and uh, and and also just what are your expectations for Missouri? Well, he's always going to say something controversial. You know, he, he loves to mix it up, you know, like the famous, you know, may the force be with you shot, you know, at Dan Mullen after Mullen, you know, wore the Darth Vader outfit and then Missouri beat them. And then, you know, Eli took the shot. But, you know, the interesting thing to me is this guy is 17 and 19 at Missouri, but yet they gave him a contract extension. So obviously they believe in what he's doing and what he's building there. And they're willing to be patient. I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, they're not going to, you know, just like any team in the SEC, they're not going to, you know, well, maybe with the exception of Andy, I'm not sure, but uh, they're not going to tolerate losing year after year after year. So, you know, they're, they're, that's why, you know, you see them on the hot seat, you know, just about every year when you see those surveys of what coaches are on the hot seat. So he knows there's a sense of urgency this year to, you know, to try to get over the over the hump and get over 500, get to a bowl game, and and, and all of that. But uh, but he's always entertaining. Look, he knows he's not Nick Saban, and he's not Brian Kelly, and you know he's not Kirby Smart. Uh, he is who he is, and and he embraces that. Uh, if you asked Missouri fans if they're happy the fact that Missouri ended up going to the big uh, going to the SEC, excuse me. Uh, and, and now that we have a sort of body of work, and I know that Missouri has appeared in, I think, two SEC championship games, maybe one. But um, do you think fans would be happy with that move? I mean, I think they would. I mean, because, you know, if you're a football fan, I mean, you want to see your team, you know, go against the best. And, and this, is, this is the best league in America. And, and you, you want to see them go toe-to-toe, you know, with the big teams. Uh, but at the same time, you know, what they're not happy with is that, you know, they want to win. They want to win just like anybody. So uh, that's why I think there's, you know, probably more pressure this year on Eli than most. You know how those contract extensions go. You know, there's, uh, there's, they're, they're, they're good if you win. They're not so good if you, if you come out of the contract extension and you lose. So uh, there's some heat on him for sure to, to come up with a winner this year. And uh, going back to Brian Kelly, one more question on Brian Kelly. Um, do you think that he relishes the fact that he gets to take Nick, Nick Saban on head to head? And uh, is he like is he poking at Saban a little bit because he's he's been on like a four month bragging tour that they beat Alabama right and and, yeah. and that, that it, it's pretty amazing to have a signature win in your first season in this conference uh, but do, do you sense that there is some brewing I don't know not animosity is not the right word but just something between uh, Coach Saban and and Brian. Kelly. Well, I think he was bragging before he even even uh, coached the game at LSU. I mean, he talked about you know the fact that he could go against you know Nick Saban and the other teams in the SEC is why he took the LSU job. And then you know you listen to that and you go, gosh, I mean the guy's had his eyes dotted you know twice 
you know, when he was the Notre Dame coach. But, um, you know, he made a reference, you know, today to how much easier it is to recruit at LSU than it is at Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, certainly the Notre Dame fans will probably, you know, take offense to that. But, but, uh, but, but he did. He mentioned that. And, and I think he is, he is relishing the fact and he is enjoying it while he's got the opportunity to brag. And I don't think Nick Saban has a problem with that. I mean, certainly there's, um, there's an edge. There's going to be an edge to Alabama when they play LSU again this year, you know, to want to get some payback and they're got him at Bryant Denny Stadium. But, uh, I don't think Nick has a problem with Brian bragging about it while he can because he knows they're going to get another chance to meet again, you know, this year at Bryant Denny. I will say this. You don't see that out of Saban. Of course. No. You know, he, he just stays the course. Uh, he, he doesn't brag about beating Tennessee 15 years in a row. Uh, but uh, those teams and those coaches use it to their advantage, and that's what they should do. And that's why I am totally in line with what Jeff Spiegel said. I don't think Saban has a big problem with it. In fact, it might just give him a little bit of an ego burst, uh, knowing that teams think that highly of beating his Alabama team. So, all right. Uh, Hugh Freeze at the podium tomorrow. What's the first question you're going to ask him, and then we'll let you go? Well, I think about the portal. I think about the additions in the portal, and also think about, you know, uh, keeping Cadillac and the fact that Cadillac saved their season last year and gave them kind of a positive vibe coming out of 2022 and how important he is to this football team. That's one of the questions I'd love to hear him answer. Good stuff. We'll let you get back to it. No, I know that we're pulling time away. And uh, we'll get breakfast when you get back because I got to hear about this not being able to get a news call, news call <laughs> to, to the biggest event in sports of the year. <laughs> also, knowing full well, been there, done that, got a flat. Yeah, well, there, I, I don't want to say I couldn't get one, but there was a there was a slight delay in getting one. Bill Castle was our chief photographer and our fleet commander, so he took care of me. But it was. Uh, it was a little stressful coming up. I was up against the uh, the uh, clock for sure. Castle, Good man, talk to he's one. Yeah, Castle's thank you, one. Jeff. Yeah, you too. Yeah, Castle, great. Around as long as we have. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversations about the Southeastern Conference Media Days. We all know that uh, the commissioner announced it'll move to Dallas. I think that shocked no one. Um, got some other topics to bring up. This is Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. High low and sell high. And the Bama broker isn't just going to show you how... Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No. 
Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Hanson Nissan Summer Sale. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A hot, humid afternoon, partly sunny, just a small chance of a shower or storm through the evening hours. The high today, 96, the low tonight, 72. Tomorrow, lots of hazy sunshine. The chance of a thunderstorm stays small. The high at 97. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 90 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson, Justin Jones, I'm Matt Coulter. Thank you for joining us. As always, Monday through Friday, this show is presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Appreciate her and also Laura Lee for getting on board. That's a big deal, too. Right, Lars? Absolutely. Um, she is the Bama broker, and uh, she'll be in studio with us on Thursday to uh, really go into detail of what distinguish her, distinguishes her as a real estate broker in Tuscaloosa and the surrounding areas. Uh, Matt, I wanted to ask you the same thing I asked Jeff, and that is Missouri came into the conference um, with Texas A&M back in 2012. Officially, they, they officially joined on July 1, 2012. So we have uh, 10 years, basically, 11 years of, uh, of, uh, of, of results. Do you think their fan base is happy that they made the move to the SEC? If they hadn't, they most likely would be in the Big 12 right now uh, and playing a, a, just a completely different style of football, right? More wide open uh, in, the, in that pass-happy league um, where uh, defensive linemen and offensive linemen really aren't quite as important as they are in the SEC. But, you know, Missouri's had a little bit of success here and there. Uh, they've pulled off some upsets. Uh, but if they were in the Big 12, they would be really a, a contender almost annually uh, to be at least playing in the Big 12 championship game and, and having an outside shot of making the playoffs. It's just hard to see Missouri ever being a serious contender for the playoffs as long as they're in the SEC. So again, the question is, do you think on a whole that Missouri fans are happy that they came to the SEC? I think so, yeah. I understand your question, and it's a darn good one. But um, if you'll remember, uh, shortly after they joined the Southeastern Conference, they played in the SEC championship game in back-to-back -back seasons. Um, Auburn beat them in a championship game back in 13, 
And uh, you'll remember in 2014. I was there that game. Yeah, Alabama Alabama slammed uh, Missouri 42-13. So, you know, they they have shown that they have the ability to claw to the championship game. I just honestly don't know. I think that's their pinnacle. Maybe they'll win it sometime in the near future. But really, if, if you go back before they join the SEC, I mean, how successful has the Murray, Missouri Tigers football program been? Um, I don't remember them challenging for many conference titles uh, in the, I guess, what was the Big Ten? Big, they joined it. They were in the Big Eight. Is that what they called it back then? Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I'll tell you one thing, and I watched him this morning on SEC Today. I watched Eli Drinkwich, and he's just a fascinating, fun guy. And he's the kind of guy that you want to win. You just don't want him to beat your team. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, he was sitting there in a very, you know, plain-looking office. He didn't have a bunch of pictures. Had some helmets on there. But uh, and, and he ended up talking about how uh, last night they, uh, he and his wife and his kids had, had gotten into an argument on what suit he was going to wear and <laughs> what pocket uh, – what is not a protector, the, the pocket – uh, handkerchiefs. Oh, yeah. And yeah, what tie he's going to wear. And yeah. they finally, yeah, pocket square. What he finally came up with. He says, good, now that we've got that over, we can get on the plane and fly to Nashville. But uh, I find him to be a very, uh, a very interesting guy and coach. But uh, to answer the question you initially answered, ask, I don't think uh, the Tiger fans regret, think of some of the trips they've gotten. They may regret it if they end up with Texas and Oklahoma on their schedule every year. Yeah. Um, you know, Missouri, when they had, uh, uh, gosh, what's this quarterback's name? Chase, Chase Daniel, the guy who's made like $40 million in the NFL and taken a grand total of like 15 snaps, right? They say he's, he's got the best job in the world. Um, with him, they were ranked number one very briefly in 2007 uh near the end of the season and uh it was both uh, missouri and kansas were in like the top five that year uh, as a real aberration but um so they they were sniffing around uh you know winning a national title uh back in 2007 or at least contending a legit contender for the national title i just don't see that happening uh in while they're in the SEC uh, because, again, uh, the Big 12, and that's the conference they were in, just plays a completely different style of ball. And and you have to have really good... Every coach I talk to says that the difference between the SEC and every other conference is what? It's the defensive linemen, specifically the D-tackles and the D-ends. They are just so superior to other players in that position all across the country and that just disrupts everything and uh, it completely changes how you need to manage the game the kind of players you need to recruit and uh, you can't get away with just having a stud quarterback and a couple stud wide receivers uh, to power your offense you really need quality offensive linemen uh, otherwise you, you won't have a chance against those defensive ends that are so good and what the SEC is known for it makes you pause and think would there ever be a situation where a team would leave the SEC 
I have that answer emphatically on the other side of the top of the hour break as we approach 1 o'clock on Big Noon Sports. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Uh, Kyle Henderson, Bama Football on YouTube. Um, Last year, I know last year doesn't matter to this year, um, but when you beat Alabama football, it certainly matters. How can that win last year and overtime continue to catapult your program and your trajectory going forward? Yeah, I was asked that question earlier. Um, Look, Alabama and Georgia are the benchmark for what we're looking for. And and what is that in particular? It's consistency and performance year in, year out. We did it one time. So we're not in that conversation at this point. So um, what we're hoping that it catapults us to is a more consistent football program that is competing for championships year in and year out. We don't want any dips in our programs at all. Um, and, and I think when, when you look at it from a tangible standpoint, what it did for us is it helps us in recruiting that we don't have to paint a narrative that, that's not true. In other words, that we can say, look, we're going to compete with Alabama. Um, we're, we're going to be able to beat Alabama. It's not a fantasy. It's a reality. And so there is some tangible evidence there that you can use in recruiting. But the rest of it is really about it giving you momentum for consistency and performance. That is uh, great stuff from Brian Kelly, the uh, head coach for Louisiana State University. And it is uh, flattering and certainly a compliment to a school like the University of Alabama to be held in that high regard where, well, if you beat them, then you got a chance to get on their platform or or their plateau. Uh, Still, I think consistency is the key. And Lars, uh, this year is going to be a little bit different. but will Alabama have a uh, bigger charge playing the Bengal Tigers this year than maybe they did even a year ago? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Brian Kelly got Alabama's attention. Everyone on that roster. Um, I mean, that that was a uh, remarkable win for LSU and completely unexpected. Um, I'm just seeing that Brian Kelly, uh, he just said... Uh, Quote, I think my accent is pretty good and has gotten better during the recruiting process. <laughs> well, you stay um, in enough Cajun homes, you're going to get some yeah, of that accent. Yeah, yeah. Some jambalaya. Um, <laughs> my friends who are still in New York, they swear I have a Southern accent, but uh, I don't I don't buy it. I don't hear it. Uh, anyway. Um, you, you've it's, got it's, more than you think. I, I probably do, I mean, y'all. you've been here 15 years, so I've seen you all I, around you enough, haven't I? I yes, it, it, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it begins to uh, influence you, no, no question, uh, the people you're around. But, I, you know, and also when Brian Kelly said it's easier to recruit here than at Notre Dame, there's a couple ways to interpret that, okay? That almost is like a backhanded shot in some ways at the academic standards of LSU because the the academic standards at, at Notre Dame are what prevent Notre Dame from getting every single player they want because they can't get them into school. I mean, that for years, in years, ever since I can remember, that has been issue number one that coaches have at Notre Dame 
It's the academic uh, profile of the prospective player is they have to be at a certain level, which is higher than most other places. And so in a way, it's almost like it's a put down to LSU if you view it through that lens. But I think he's also saying that there is just so much talent within 300 miles of Baton Rouge, right? Just draw a circle around it. And, and, and if he could just keep Alabama specifically from poaching players from Louisiana and if he can, you know, shut the border down, uh, then, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll make great strides because everything he needs is right there. Uh, and, and, and then the fact that he can go into the portal, get a quarterback like he has now, Jalen, and also recruit nationally because he has relationships with high school coaches all around the country based on his experience at Notre Dame. Um, and, you know, he's a charming guy. I mean, he, he may not come off a, a, as a charming guy on television sometimes, but I promise you when you're sitting in his office with him, and like I, I mentioned the other day, I go, I go back uh, all the way to like 2002 with, with Brian Kelly when um, he was leading Grand Valley State uh, in Michigan. I think it's in Ypsilanti, Michigan, but somewhere in Michigan. Uh, it's way off. Uh, I know it's yeah. Canada, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's in the uh, the UP, the Upper Peninsula. Exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, I think. I could be wrong on that. But anyway, uh, he... Um, He's good one-on-one. He's really good one-on-one. And he's smart, he's clever. And, uh, you know, I think uh, you're seeing that right away, just the fact that he is able to get the talent that he wants and, and, and to turn this team around the way he has because Ed Orgeron's final year was just an absolute disaster. And um, it, it it really takes effort to get fired a year after you win a national championship, <laughs> but uh, or Orgeron uh, managed to do just that. The um, SEC Network leading into today all weekend they ran Saturdays in the South, and the one I watched last night was on Ed Orgeron and. And I actually thought I knew a lot about him, and I, I, I do. But uh, some of the things that uh, I, um, I learned last night, he went to LSU on a full scholarship. They lined him up at offensive tackle or guard. Center, I think, maybe. He didn't want to play there, so he quit. He went home. Um, he was on a shrimp boat for the summer. Man, now that is some hard, hot, steamy work. And then he started working his way up because, you know what he could do? He could recruit. Um, He did that. But um, I don't think I've seen a coach rise and fall as quickly as he did. Uh, The only (laughs) one I can think of would maybe be Les Miles at the same school. But uh, he certainly has a lot of character. Uh, Ed Orgeron does. And he's part of the, uh, the unique LSU Cajun lore of that country and and getting back to what you said there are so many great athletes just in the state of louisiana you keep them but as dick saban has been doing for 15 years he'll find one or two in lsu and he still finds one or two in georgia every year that he wants and they end up contributing greatly um so nick saban can keep that up 
in light of the fact that he's got two teams that are building and rebuilding in the Southeastern Conference in LSU and Georgia. It's just uh, that competition is getting stronger and stronger. But you know what, Lars? His classes continue to be, I'm talking about Nick Saban, they continue to be ranked number one or number two no matter where you look. So it's yeah, interesting I was gonna, because... Uh, Sorry, yeah. I was going to mention that earlier when you said, uh, you know, that the question of whether or not the dynasty is dead is already being brought up, even though Alabama's not going to be at SEC Media Days until Wednesday. The fact that the recruiting has not slowed, it didn't slow during the pandemic, hasn't slowed as Saban celebrated his 70th birthday. I mean, it, it is clear that he still has his recruiting fastball. And what does Nick Saban say a lot? At least he said it, said it to me a lot. It's not the jockey, it's the horses. <laughs> if you don't have the horses, you can't win the race. And uh, and nobody's been better than Nick at securing those, those players, those special players. And so that's what tells me that, that the, the, the dynasty isn't dead. Again, not even close. Um, and and so it, it just, I, I meant to bring that up earlier, Matt. Well, and uh, we'll find out more on Thursday after many, many stories are uh, printed and broadcast concerning this. But even though, it's just, this is Matt's view, okay? And, and granted, we're in Alabama, so we're going to lean and getting more information, more stories written about Nick Saban in Alabama. But even though Georgia has won back-to-back national championships, just as far as the media is concerned and the stories that they write, um, I think Alabama still is the straw. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And you know absolutely. why? Nick Saban. Yeah. There is a uh, fascination with Nick Saban uh, from... California to New York uh, that is unmatched of any coach in America, I would argue, in any sport. And, uh, you know, I've just, uh, I've talked to people in the publishing world. And when Nick Saban retires and decides to write the definitive history of his life in an autobiography, he is going to command as much money as Barack Obama did when Obama uh, did his memoir. And, uh, of course, uh, there's a long list of writers uh, standing in line (laughs) hoping to be that person uh, that he chooses to help him. And, hey, my hand is currently up in the air right now. Are you waving it like kids in the back? I am. I'm over here. I'm over here. Um, (laughs) Yeah, who who wouldn't? But um, I I have a feeling I know who it will be and, uh, and, and, you know, you you know exactly who I'm talking about, um, but anyway, it, it just shows you that you know even New York, right? The publishing world, they know what kind of impact and influence and reach that Nick Saban has. I mean, we're talking like it'll, this will be like a five to seven million dollar book. I mean, once he decides to do it, if he decides to do it, and I think he will do it. Well, I know a lot of people hope he does, and uh, I'm I'm with you in the back of the class, waving my hand in the air too, just to get his attention so he'd pick you. Yeah. So, you know, you hold how you hold your hand up, and you point to the other person. 
That's what I'd be doing in the back of the class. Ah, so oh, thank you. I, I don't appreciate think anybody's that. better prepared to do that based on the fact you've already done two. So, anyway, we'll get to that. By the way, did did I hear the guy that asked Brian Kelly the question identify his sports organization, his media outlet, as Onion Tube? Did you hear that? <laughs> I did. I, I Onion Tube. I didn't hear it. <laughs> and you way, couldn't get a credential the other year? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Onion Tube. Saying. Onion yeah. Tube got a credential. Onion Tube. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, the guy asked a very legitimate question. Yeah, the question was fine. I, just, I don't think I've ever heard of Onion Tube. And I just looked it up and it says this is no longer available. So, um, hey, maybe he's an imposter with a good question. Um, no imposter with our next guest. Lars knows him. I've known him for... Oh, my, 40-something years. Kurt McNair from Bama 24-7 is going to join us on the other side of the break as you listen to Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. If you're hiring... Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A hot, humid afternoon, partly sunny, just a small chance of a shower or storm through the evening hours. The high today, 96, the low tonight, 72. Tomorrow, lots of hazy sunshine. The chance of a thunderstorm stays small. The high at 97. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 90 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, it's Matt and Lawrence. Appreciate everybody dialing us in. And we're going to be joined by Kirk McNair, longtime Alabama reporter, and a lot of other things. And a, a dear friend for, gosh, Kirk, about uh, what, 40-something years. <laughs> are, we, say. <laughs> are, are we the two in the clubhouse and have been for a while? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, Hope you guys are doing well. Oh, we're great. Uh SEC Media Days has its pluses, but uh, I think I ran that track meet a few times in my life. Now, you're going to go up for Alabama on Wednesday, correct? I'm going to go up tomorrow, yeah. I'll be up. Okay. And uh, what, what was your reaction, Kirk? Good to talk to you. Been been too long. Um, what was your reaction to uh, Greg Sankey's uh, comments this morning? 
I'll go there and um, and you know it's it's beneficial to me from this standpoint. Not that the coaches are uh, who are by nature not going to say anything much, uh, or the players who are coached up uh, dramatically before they get there. Uh, but it's because I get to talk to people from around the conference and around the nation, for that matter, at SEC Media Days, and just kind of get some ideas about uh, how the wind's blowing in different places and uh, thoughts on, obviously, now with so much going on in college athletics. Uh, and the, the commissioner touched on it today. I've not touched on it. He went on and on and on about the various aspects that we're facing. So that to me are more interesting than a coach who goes down the depth chart which fortunately for me Nick Saban does not do that but uh, he'll he'll have some points and uh, and I need to be there to uh, try to think through them (laughs) Kirk uh, really good to talk to you again been too long but um, what were your or what was your reaction if you had one uh, to Greg Sankey's comments this morning I thought he had thought through some things very well. Uh, I don't know if they're doable, but I'm particularly intrigued uh, because he, as he pointed out, uh, state legislatures are passing uh, laws not to to help, but to actually hurt, <laughs> to make it, uh, you know, like Texas did where, you know, the NCAA can't penalize the school for breaking NCAA rules if the Texas legislature has said it's okay, things like that. So he said uh, that it's got to be the conference teams and conferences nationwide come together with these uh, standardized rules. And he didn't, I didn't think he uh, needed to or should have got too specific on them. In fact, uh, he dodged questions on that, and I thought that was the right thing to do because you don't want to box yourself in. But uh, I think Greg Sankey is a, a, a powerful guy, not because and because he's smart, not not uh, not someone to listen to just because he's powerful. He's he's uh, he has a firm grasp on, I think, the big picture of uh, college athletics and obviously the Southeastern Conference. Kirk McNair is with us from Bama 24-7. Our Bama interviews are being sponsored by a new one. That's Laura Lee Thompson, Bama broker. We urge you to use her. She can really help you in the purchase of your home. Um, Kirk, uh, in a little while, we'll hear from Jimbo Fisher. Do you think most of the questions will be directed at, A, his his rival with Saban in Alabama, and B, which is probably really A, and that's Bobby Petrino? Yeah, I think Bobby Petrino, and, uh, you know, what's to say? He's going to say, oh, it's great. We're wonderful. We're working together. I've admired Bobby a long time. He's a great mind, and, you know, and then we'll see. Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest questions facing Texas A&M, and, and one of the biggest uh, storylines for the conference this coming year is can Jimbo let loose? Uh and, you know, I always thought that maybe Gus Malzahn uh, hurt himself at Auburn because he just would not turn, turn it loose. And, uh, uh, you know, you hire, you hire a guy and tell him you want him to do it, and then 
and then you say, no, 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 I, uh, let, let me show you how to do it. <laughs> you know, and so you need to hire the right guy. Bobby Petrino is a smart guy, uh, good football mind. So it could be a big help to A&M. They've certainly got the players. And, uh, and I think that, you know, uh, there are not too many coaches that have a national championship, but one of them who does is, is Jimbo Fisher. So, uh, he's not a bad, he's, he knows how to coach, and uh, I think it'll be interesting just to see if he can, as I say, let go of some of it. Uh, a coach who's in the spotlight today is uh, is, is LSU's Brian Kelly. Um, how has your impression of Brian Kelly changed from last year at this time when he's uh, going to SEC media days and answering questions about whether or not he's a cultural fit as opposed to <laughs> now after uh, certainly exceeding all expectations and winning the division last year? Well, I was, you know, I liked Brian Kelly uh, from the first time we, uh, when Alabama played uh, in Miami or Miami Gardens, and that was the first time I'd been around him uh, at all, and I was very impressed with him, and uh, you know, not so much his team that year, but it was uh, not built to play a team like Alabama, but I've I've also watched him, I think, uh, uh, make uh, adjustments to the way he, he he seems flexible to me and uh and what he did at lsu in year one of course is pretty remarkable uh on the in big picture but then you look at the uh, minutia so to speak uh he got blown out a couple of times and uh you know and lost you know lost more games than should be lost by a team that thinks they're a national championship contender so he's got some I think still some work to do, but I, obviously LSU almost always is going to have good players. And this year, of course, they probably have the best quarterback room in the conference uh, with uh, Jaden uh, Daniels and, Daniels and, and uh, Garrett Nussmeyer. So um, I think LSU will be a good team, and I'm glad that uh, they have to come to Tuscaloosa this year. <laughs> Yeah, Tennessee does too. So maybe the payback will be you right. know what. Um, now right. tomorrow, Hugh Freeze will return to SEC Media Days, but uh, with a totally different team. Just kind of assessed Auburn's hire, uh, and what's really going to be expected from the Tigers on the field, and then maybe even discuss what you think uh, some of the topics that Hugh Freeze may bring up tomorrow in Nashville. Yeah, you know. Uh I thought that uh, I didn't think LSU. I mean, excuse me, Auburn would go that way. I thought they'd uh, they would do something else. Uh, so that sort of surprised me that uh, we don't care what he did at Ole Miss. He can coach football, and that's the truth. He is a good football coach, uh, and I think he, uh, you know, understood the landscape of college football and his. Uh, doing the best he can to be, rebuild a roster that had been depleted uh, by the previous coach, Brian Harson, uh, insofar as a failure to to recruit well. And uh, Freeze understood that and, and has used the portal, I think, to make the team stronger. And I think that, you know, uh, he'll, have, he'll have a representative team. I don't think he's got a championship team by any means. 
but also I think expectations. Uh, the, the bar is pretty low down there. I mean, even their uh, fans seem to think you know the, the feelings about seven five maybe, and you know some people put it at five seven, and so I put it a little higher than that. But uh, we'll see. But I, I know he's a good coach, and I know he's gonna he's gonna have to have better players. But he's got a lot of good players in certain places, so he just needs more of them. Kirk, we haven't had a chance to have you on yet, uh, and so I want to just ask you an Alabama-specific question here, even though Alabama doesn't go until Wednesday for the SEC Media Days. Um, September 9th, Texas comes to Tuscaloosa, kickoff 6 p.m., do you think one that this is the biggest non-conference home game of Nick Saban of the Nick Saban era in Tuscaloosa? And two, I'm going to ask you a question that everyone is probably asking you: Who do you think will be the starter at quarterback in that game? <laughs> right. Yeah. Believe it or not, I thought that one might come. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, as for, I would say that. Uh, you know, when Alabama played Penn State early in the in the uh, Saban era, uh, that was pretty big. And uh, but I think that the, you know everybody's saying the biggest game of week two of college football will be Texas at Alabama, based in great part on last year's game, in which if Alabama hadn't had Bryce Young, they wouldn't have won that game. Uh, and if if Texas had had Quinn Ewer. Uh, they might have won it, but he got hurt in the first quarter, as we all know. I think it was the first quarter. Yep. And um, so now we come up to, uh, speaking of Penn State, when Alabama went up to Penn State uh, in, that would have been 2011, I guess, uh, we weren't sure who the starting quarterback would be, Phil Sims or A.J. McCarron. And it turned out to be A.J. McCarron, who had, I not sure of who had started the first game, but it, it was definitely still platoon in a in a first game. I think that's a possibility this year. I know Saban would like to get it done as soon as possible, but it, he wants to get it right. And uh, you know, he started uh, Blake Barnett one year against Southern Cal, and I don't think Blake Barnett made it through the first quarter before Jalen Hurts was put in. Uh, so it, it, it changes can be made. It's not averse to making them. Uh, I would think that Jalen Milrow has just enough edge in the experience to make him a favorite, or you might say that uh, uh, Tyler Buckner, with his relationship with the new offensive coordinator, uh, Tommy Reese, might have have the lead. Uh, and we don't know what Saban wants to do. He's, he's changed offenses before. Does he want to go back to closer to a pro set or what we used what we call a pro set which is not a pro set not necessarily pros anymore uh go back to that or stick with what he had uh, uh lane kiffin do change to a more of a spread uh high octane kind of offense um so there are a lot of things that i don't know and i suspect saban does but i do know that every he's made a lot of quarterback uh, adjustments after graduations or heading to the pros, whatever. And so far, I'd say they've all been pretty good. They've all uh, either won national championships or set records or won the Heisman Trophy, you know. So they've, they've been pretty good selections by Saban. 
Kirk McNair from Bama 24-7 is our guest on Big Noon Sports. Kirk, on a much broader topic, um, how do you see the college football playoff system working out here in the next couple of years? When they go to 12, uh, I think it's uh, so far, even the BCS with just two teams, I thought got it right. Uh, with four teams in the uh, CFP era, I think they've had the right two teams uh, every year, not necessarily the one that won or the one that uh, finished runner-up, for instance, last year, you know, but with I think just about everybody in the Southeastern Conference who watched TCU during the season knew that they weren't, they didn't belong there. Uh, but they were there. And those type teams are going to be filling up a lot of spots. But I think still, uh, with the, with the uh, format that they have, the good thing about it is, is there'll be four games on college campuses, and that's what people love. And the bad thing for most of those teams, for those four teams that are eight teams that play that first round, the first top four teams are going to have a bye. And a bye in basketball is, I mean, football is not like a bye in basketball. A bye in basketball doesn't mean all that much. A bye in football means a, can mean very, very much. And so I think what we'll see is uh, in most years, the four teams that come out of the 12-team playoff will be the four teams that are one, two, three, and four. Missouri is one of the teams that are uh, meeting with the media right now at uh, SEC Media Days in Nashville. Missouri joined the conference officially on July 1, 2012 with Texas A&M. Now that we have a ample sample size uh, of Missouri's performance in the SEC, uh, do you think that has, has Missouri kind of met your expectation for what you thought the Tigers would be when they joined the SEC? Or have they, uh, you know, Matt and I were talking earlier, they did play in back-to-back uh, SEC championship games, but absolutely got demolished in both of them. Um, but do you think Missouri is just kind of where you thought they would be and where how they would fit in with the SEC, just kind of being, I don't know, middle-tier to lower-tier team? Yeah, well, I did not have high expectations, certainly, for Missouri. I did not think it was a good fit for the SEC. I still think that, and I think that it was uh, – I would love to see the ratings, the TV ratings, for the reasons that – Missouri was brought in to get St. Louis and Kansas City, basically, and I suspect those have not moved very much off the where they were before. Um, but I, uh, you know, yes, Missouri did make the SEC playoffs. Uh, I mean, championship game twice, but they were. Uh, it was a miracle that both times, and mm-hmm. and of course they were. Uh, uh, as you say, they didn't they didn't measure up. Beyond that, I don't. Uh, I don't think that they. Gary Pinkle was a good coach, you know, and he got them there. Uh, I think they've got a good coach now, but what's going to be the the uh, ceiling for him? Six six, something like that. Uh, that's you know six seven, I guess it'd be, or five seven, or or six or seven five, maybe. Uh, that's that seems to me to be about where they had better plan to be for the foreseeable future. I just do not see Missouri ever uh, being up to uh, 
what what the powers are in the SEC. Kirk, tell everybody again where you are with twenty four seven. Kirk, did we lose him again? Hey, are you there? There we go. Yeah, uh, tell everybody who you're writing for now. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, we're uh, Bama 24-7. We're the Alabama affiliate of 24-7 sports. Uh, so uh, I'm very happy. We've got a good team and uh, working. Fortunately, I've got a bunch of good working writers with me that help. Yeah, Mike Rodak was a great addition, and um, he comes on with us occasionally. And uh, I hope that we can now get you on on a more regular basis because your insight goes – well, let's just say that Kirk has a lot of experience. Is that a nice way to put it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fair statement. <laughs> Kirk, we'll talk to you again uh, very soon. You. Appreciate your time. You bet. That's uh, Kirk McNair My from pleasure, guys. 24-7. You bet. Thank yeah. you, Kirk. Fun stuff. Um, our Alabama interview segments are going to be sponsored from here forward by Laura Lee Thompson, uh, Bama broker. Uh, she can certainly help and has the experience to do so. When we come back, uh, I am going to give a little bit of an update on one of the sports that had to be carried over from the weekend. That's coming up on Big Noon Sports. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Justin, thank you for running the show. SEC Media Days continue. Today at the podium, you had Greg Sankey, and you had LSU, Missouri, Texas A&M on as well. And then the week will follow as such. So, uh, just an update, because I know you've noticed this. You covered NASCAR for so long. But I cannot remember a season that's even close to what NASCAR, the Cup Series, has dealt with weather-wise. Um, the last three races have either been postponed or cut short. And, you know, you can't do anything about Mother Nature. You really can't. But the rain in New Hampshire just washed it out. Um, they started at 11 o'clock this morning. They got about 50 left. Uh, Austin Dillon is your leader, but he's got to soon pit, and that will relinquish it to the 19 car of Martin Truex Jr., who has had the strongest car. So there's a little NASCAR update since they were not able to race on Sunday. Uh, other than the SEC or including the SEC, what's on your radar right now, Lars Anderson? Well, I want to ask you a quick question. Why doesn't NASCAR allow for rain tires? They do it in Formula One. 
why can't NASCAR race in the rain? They do on road courses now. And we saw that in Chicago just two weeks ago. But my biggest guess, having never just guess, having never just gone up to somebody and asked them, is that their speeds are such on these yeah. oval that I, I don't even think that a treaded tire would help. And it would also, it's uh, <laughs> another reason. Man, would that make for a boring race. You know, it'd be like watching downtown traffic in Birmingham put along 65. I, I don't think they could go very fast. And uh, I think that uh, that would turn Talladega into a really, oh, man, that'd be uneventful, to say the very least. So uh, just from my limited opinion, that's what I would say. Did you yeah, around I, it? What do you think? Well, the drivers are going to push it no matter what. And in this, it's almost like saving the drivers from themselves because I think you're exactly right. There's just too much speed generated on the straightaways and you go into the corner and, you know, NASCAR races are won and lost in the corners, as you know. And you need to push it to the red line limit in those corners to win the race. You need to push it as far as you possibly can. You need to push it to that point to where you are, you know, a scintilla away from being out of control. Which is and, what they do when it's when it's dry. Yeah, so that's what I mean. When it's wet, uh, it, it, it's just these guys don't have it in them to throttle back and be cautious. And so I, I think uh, that they just a, a rain package just probably wouldn't work. Uh, maybe it could work at like uh, a Martinsville, um, Phoenix, Richmond, but you get on these uh, 1.5 mile ovals or the super speedways, and uh, yeah, I don't think it would work at all. I wonder what their max speed would be. I'm just curious. I, I really don't have any guess at all. But um, I think one of the biggest difficulties in exactly what you were just talking about is in the corners, under dry conditions, they are absolutely pushing it, but they know what to do if suddenly it goes wrong. I don't know that they would know what to do in the wet, although I guess they'd learn if it became a pattern. But um, it's also... Um, yeah, and I, I guess I don't know. I couldn't give you the explanation as why this is with road courses because they will, they will race in the wet. But uh, also, uh, how do I put this? Well, they, they, just don't, they don't generate the speed on, on road courses, yeah. right? They don't no, generate, no, they're constant yeah. cornering. So yeah. um, I also do wonder what uh, would happen if you had 110,000 fans at Talladega all wet. <laughs> I don't know, but I would love to see it. It would be quite the show. <laughs> they probably epic. wouldn't it would even be epic. <laughs> they wouldn't even have to race the cars. They just let's, take the cameras and show different parts of the grandstands and out in the infield. And uh, let's make it a I've Saturday. Let's make it a Saturday night race. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure the seats would be left, but it'd be fun. <laughs> I promise you that. It would be Talladega fun. So. I mean, I can't tell you how many hours I have sat through rain delays at 
NASCAR tracks around the country. It's the most infuriating thing in the world. You're just praying that they get halfway so you don't have to change your travel plans back from, you know, LAX to get back to Birmingham because you got to stay another day in Fontana, uh, affectionately known as Fontucky among the (laughs) NASCAR riders. But... um, yeah, uh, it's just, you know, watching the radar is no fun. And But but you know what? There's actually a skill to it because uh, if you know that the weather is coming and you're a crew chief, you can take a chance, right? And like try to stay out on the track on tires that are, are absolutely shot and just hope that the rain comes and the, the race is called and it's over uh, halfway done and, and you steal a win. Uh, and you, we've seen that happen. Uh, throughout NASCAR history, but um, yeah, it, it, it it's unfortunate that NASCAR really is the only major sport in this country that can be as affected by rain uh, as it is. Yeah, it's a difficult situation, but you also you know going in and understand that that's always a possibility. I remember talking to Larry McReynolds, who is from Inslee, Alabama. And now a top analyst and was one of the best uh, crew chiefs in in the history of the sport. Uh, He recorded the Weather Channel. And I kind of started laughing. And he said, no, I I really do. If I can't be right there in pre-race or wherever I am, even the night before a race, and I don't see it immediately, I record it and watch it back. And and this was like 20-something years ago. But... Crew chiefs have to keep an eye on that as they do, you know, fuel, engine, tires, the whole thing. So that's a major part of it well, as well because, like you said, Lars, do you make that gamble or don't you? Hey, we'll be back with our final segment on this Monday of SEC Media Days right here on Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. 
at 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A hot, humid afternoon. Partly sunny, just a small chance of a shower or storm through the evening hours. The high today, 96. The low tonight, 72. Tomorrow, lots of hazy sunshine. The chance of a thunderstorm stays small. The high at 97. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 92 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, it's Matt Lars and Justin. Wrapping up our SEC Media Days, let's see, Monday going into Tuesday, tomorrow. Uh, great interest on Hugh Freeze. But um, just wondered, Lars, in your many years of covering the SEC, doing Media Days, Football Media Days, anything that pops out? Just a quick story, maybe involved a colleague or a player or a coach. Yeah, you know, most of the media days I've covered, I have gone just to gather general information, you know, nothing too specific. But uh, Coach Saban, he, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he still does this. Uh, when I was at uh, the, the magazine, um, he would invite, you know, four to six uh, writers and broadcasters who uh, he trusted, I would say. Uh, I don't know what, why or what the reason was, if you made the cut or not, but he would invite a, a few of us up to his uh, suite uh, at, the, at the hotel at the Winfrey in, in Hoover. And uh, for about an, I don't know, 30, 45 minute off the record conversation. And uh, it was amazing just how candid he would be in these sessions and just how relaxed he was. You know, he's, he is so good in a small group, right? And he's really good, I think, one-on-one. -on -one. I think there is like a little bit of anxiety that he feels when he is uh, uh, up in front of 1,500 uh, reporters who wouldn't feel a little bit of anxiety. And so I just, I just remember, uh, you know, just see, sort of seeing a different side of, of Coach Saban in those sessions and, and, uh, and everybody honored you know, honored the fact that it was off the record. You know, like Ivan Maisel would be in there uh, from ESPN at the time. He's our good buddy. He was at Sports Illustrated a long time with me. Um, usually uh, someone from AL.com, uh, maybe uh, another writer uh, from like Yahoo, uh, like say if a Dan Wetzel or a Pat Forty uh, was covering the event. But um, yeah, it, it, that and just uh, it's a time to really reconnect again with uh, old friends because when you're on the road covering college football every weekend, uh, it can be pretty lonely, uh, to be honest, right? I mean, you, you leave on like Thursday, uh, you fly in. Uh, get, uh, on Friday, if uh, I would usually try to get you know one on ones with uh, a couple players and coaches, and then you uh, spend Friday night sketching out what you want the story to be, 
And then Saturday, you hope that <laughs> what you sketched out is actually going to apply. And so uh, the the challenge was is at when when Sports Illustrated was at its peak, right? There were uh, maybe 24 million readers. Um, you had to be relevant on Wednesday when Wednesday and Thursday when everybody received the magazine in the mail. Uh, and, uh, and so you'd have to come up with information that, again, that would have legs. And so uh, it was always challenging, but also, again, it was great to see a friendly face in the media center and maybe have a nice dinner with on Friday or, uh, uh, or you know, see them on maybe Thursday night. But um, yeah, I, 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 the, the social aspect of it, Matt, I always found was almost as important as the professional side uh, because it's a way of keeping your sanity when you cultivate those relationships with other reporters. And then when you're on the road for 15 straight weeks, uh, it, it, it's just nice to have, uh, again, a familiar face, a, a friend. But I will say this. I usually never talked about what I was going to write about uh, before the game. And I wouldn't sort of, you know, say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? I didn't want anybody to know what I was thinking. And I also didn't want my thinking polluted by what their thoughts were on on, on what the storyline should be coming out of a game. And so there was a little, there was always like this detachment that you would have to employ. But um, again, it was always nice just to, to have a, a, a see a friendly face. And that all begins for the reporters who are going to be on the road all year at SEC Media Days. But in particular, those sessions with Coach Saban, I always found particularly enlightening. And I mean, not so much for the information as just the fact that how relaxed he was and and uh, and, and and just again, he just seems so much more natural. And so that's really what sticks out to me, sort of broad broad strokes here. How, how about you? Well, uh, trying to think of something that I may not have shared before. Uh, a couple on really a, a personal level. Um, just a few years ago, actually it's been more than that, um, when it was at uh, the Winfrey, um, you know, they have those huge, grandiose breakfasts and lunches. And they're they're wonderful, and the only problem is that you've still got five hours of work, six hours of work to do, and you want to take a nap. But I, I was sitting there, and a guy came out of the kitchen area and walked over to me and introduced himself, and he said, hey, Matt, I'm Marty Staples. And I went, you mean the, the guy I played Little League football with? And he said, that's right, it's me. And he had one of those proper chef deals on, and he was the chef for the whole thing. <laughs> And I thought, wow, what a small world. And then the first time we ever did, we created Radio Row when I was with Jocks. And we, you know, the, the atrium there, this is when it was at the Sheraton. You know, the atrium where there's that little sports pub like, and then right across is the fine dining. You know, it's a huge area on the second floor. And there was this one little radio table with WJOX on it. And Scott Griffin and I sitting there at 6 o'clock 
o'clock in the morning. Now, who's up at 6 o'clock in the morning? Maybe housekeeping? I can remember that our show was just bellowing throughout the entire atrium and, and up to the 14th or 15th floor. And Sky and I are just talking along, talking along. And do you remember Topper Price, harmonica player, great musician, Birmingham's own, God rest yeah, his soul? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, about 6.15, Topper just came strolling through the atrium. He'd been up all night as Topper had been speaking. We gave him a mic, let him ask a couple of questions. And, and then later that very same day was when Doug Layton was with us. And by the way, it's uh, right at the uh, eight-year anniversary of his passing. I miss you, Dougie, do. We all do. But um, Steve Spurrier was uh, sitting there, and he was talking a little bit to Dougie, do, but he'd gotten there very... Uh, no, here's what it was. Uh, it, we were about to go off the air. Leighton was about to come on, and Spurrier came over there for a one-on-one interview, but he knew he knew Leighton, and that's why he came over there. And he said, no, nah, I'll just wait for Leighton. He wouldn't appear early because he didn't know us, which is, I don't know. I didn't tell that very well, but it was like, oh, <laughs> hey, it, it was newsworthy that uh, Steve Spurrier had just snubbed us, um, and he did. <laughs> But media days were just so absolutely, almost 180. We'll say at 180, but it, they're so different than they were back in those days. But, uh, yeah, some very fond memories, and then some, quite honestly, we just don't share on radio, television, or even on the Internet. All right, Lars, <laughs> our Monday edition is complete. We'll do more. Uh, Jeff Spiegel will join us, maybe see 3340. Uh, he's going to come home, but then Johnny Com- Congan, his uh, his cohort at ABC 3340, will join us. And um, we will have somebody online for media days every day this week. Lars, have a great day. Uh, Justin, thank you so much. And thanks to Kirk McNair and who I just said, Jeff Spiegel.